0: It's kind of sad that in so many businesses, the top officers, vice presidents, presidents, CEOs, fail to come down to the people, the secretaries, the people driving the trucks, the people on the assembly line, and say to them, thank you for all you're doing for our company. But I think the great leaders, they do that.
1: Hey, welcome to another episode of the Coffee Break Podcast, where our mission is to share business ideas, practices, and strategies while we enjoy a cup of coffee. Today's guest is Coach Pat Sullivan. Uh, He was a coach for over 40 years in high school and college athletics, and uh, he's going to be talking a little bit about some of the lessons that he's learned through having a good attitude. And we're going to be talking uh, through the books. He's got two, uh, the author of two books, and it's going to be an exciting conversation today. Before we jump into it, though, I do want to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, subscribe on our YouTube channel, or subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. We want to make sure that you're connected because we've got a brand new episode coming out every Tuesday morning, and we want to make sure that you don't miss a single episode all this year. So make sure you do that now. But right now, grab a cup of coffee. Let's get ready for this conversation.
0: So much to say. We got a podcast to make. I'm sipping on lattes. And it's time for a coffee break. It's time for a coffee break.
1: Pat, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, this is this is pretty cool. Uh, one, as a, a I joke about this a lot, a former professional high school basketball player. It's really cool to have you on the podcast today and to to chat a little bit about um, some of your experiences and experiences with teamwork and leadership and and kind of bringing all that together. So, thank you very much for joining us today.
0: Honored to be here, Chad.
1: And you're joining us from the, what do you classify as the greater Chicago area?
0: Yes, greater Chicago area, about 35 miles southwest of Chicago.
1: Yes. Cool. And we were just chatting before we got started on um, kind of, you know, your experience over the years, being able to see Michael Jordan play basketball in the playoffs and uh, just kind of some some cool experiences with that. And obviously, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, Michael Jordan owns the Charlotte Hornets now, which is kind of a, a cool thing and uh, to be able to see all that come together. So, uh, But before we jump into all that, we do have to get rapid fire, five random. Selected questions just to get under your skin with unknown point values. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. Did you ever have a huge rival, and was the rivalry fear uh, friendly or fierce?
0: It was. It was more friendly. Well, I don't know. It wasn't feared, but it was respected. Ooh, that would okay. be my answer.
1: Feared but respected, I like it. All right. Question number two, what is uh, one thing from your childhood that you still enjoy to this day?
0: My parents, how blessed I was to have the parents that I had and the values that they shared with us.
1: Very cool. That's one of the and we'll get into your book something that you mentioned quite frequently about core values. I wanna, we'll jump into that as well. Question number three, What memory have you been thinking about a lot lately?
0: Coaching, coaching. Yep. Reflecting back on the the players I was able to coach, but coaching.
1: So side side question: How many players came through your system over the years?
0: Well, we're very proud of this. We had 176 seniors play Chad, and 172 of them finished their degrees.
1: Oh, that's awesome, man! That's 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 yeah. a big uh, that's a big uh, accomplishment. Thank you. We Uh, had good kids. Question number four. Have you ever had to complain to management? And if so, why did you have to complain?
0: When our scholarships were cut, we had been a national program. And when the scholarships got cut, we went from being able to play people all over the country to struggling in our conference.
1: Ah, so you had to make a complaint about that. Yes. That's a, that's a valid one, right? Uh, let's see.
0: I, I I believe so.
1: <laughs> Question number five: What do you? Remember, this will be fun. What do you remember most about your first crush?
0: She was very pretty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome! All right, we'll give you uh, congratulations. You made it through rapid fire. We'll give you a score of six hundred and forty-seven. How about that? Okay, thank you. (laughs) All right, so let's jump into kind of the conversation today. So you've got two books, and and you were kind enough to send us uh, a copy of each of them. I've got them here uh, on the desk, Attitude, uh, The Cornerstone of Leadership, and then Team Building, From the Bench to the Boardroom. Um, The one I want to focus on today is The Attitude, The Cornerstone of Leadership. What prompted you to want to write a book about attitude?
0: As a coach, as you know, Chad, you're, you're asked to do a lot of speaking at banquets and, and numerous other, um, events. And I, I had spoken once with the fella who used the word leader as an acronym. Mm-hmm. So, because attitude is such an important part of, of my life sport, uh, I, I developed a, a a speech on, on attitude as an acronym. And actually, it was one of my former players who encouraged me to write about it.
1: Okay, very cool. So you in, in this book, you take the word attitude and you kind of break it down as, a, as an acronym or acrostic and kind of break down each letter of the word and give some attributes associated with it. Um, you, know, When it comes down to it, what is the One of the vital lessons that you've learned or one of the, through your experience with coaching, dealing, I'm sure you've come across, one, you had to get your attitude right first, uh, but two, dealing with people that didn't have a good attitude. So what is some of the lessons that you've learned through, I guess, let's start with yourself. How did you, how did you kind of get yourself together every day to start with a good attitude? Cause uh, you know, it, it, it all starts with, with the coach. It all starts with that leader.
0: Well, I've heard people say about the profession of teaching and coaching that they've never, uh, John Madden, in fact, said this recently. He never worked a day in his life. Yeah. So I think when you are privileged to work with young people, I spent 10 years at the high school level, 34 at the collegiate level. Um, you, you, it's almost innate that you want to have a great attitude because I don't care what Charles Barkley said, you are a role model Yeah, and you're a role model to those, those kids. And, uh, I, I think that was the thing that precipitated trying to have a, a good attitude daily.
1: All right. So you, you were a coach. Talk, talk me through a little bit of your coach, coaching career. How long were you in the, in the world of coaching? 44 years. Okay. And what, like, what were you, your coaching high school?
0: I was coaching high school for ten, Chad. Okay, and then I coached uh, college for thirty-four.
1: Okay, so you're crafting now college and high school athletes. It's it's interesting, and I joke about this a lot because, like, as I said earlier, a former professional high school basketball player. I I played basketball for all four years in high school. We I don't even I think we may have won one game in the entire four years. It was a brutal brutal career, um, yeah. but there were so many lessons that i learned through that process one of learning the 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 struggles of wanting of being so competitive and constantly losing um, to then understanding the pitfalls of not relying on your team uh and and the kind of the segmentation of five individual players versus one team. Um, and so when you talk, when you look at this, when you look at attitude, when you look at leadership, how important is it to have everybody in one mindset or in a, in agreement? And there's one example I want to bring up in the book, but um, how important is that to the experience for a successful team versus a, a you know a team that often suffers failure?
0: Chad, yeah, it's everything. It's, it's everything. I love an expression that Bill Russell used. And I think this is would be good. For, four of my five children are in business. This would be good for business as well as athletics. That you want to develop team ego. Yep. It's not about me, but it's about us. And I love when he would say the great Boston Celtics teams, when they would enter a gymnasium, for practice or a game, they left their individual egos outside the door, but they brought in team eagle, And their team ego was saying uh, um, metaphorically to their opponents that if you're gonna beat us, you better bring a, a great game because we are.
1: We understand the frustrations HOA board members and property managers face when deciding the best solution for their HOA and pool security. Should we use a keypad, hand out keys, or install a keycard system? Do we even need cameras? These are some of the questions that are difficult to navigate, and we're here to help. At Lockdock Security, we've spent over 20 years working with homeowners associations and property managers to find the system that best fits the pool and HOA needs. Camera systems for the front gate or front entrance, keycard systems for the pool gates, or simply updating the gate so that it meets safety and code compliance. We like to take the guesswork out of the process to answer any questions and help find the right solution. Our mission is to help you protect your people and your property, and that includes pools. Contact our team today to schedule your free consultation for your community. Have you watched the series uh, Man in the Arena with Tom Brady? Not yet. Okay. No. There's there's one aspect of that that brings what you just said to mind. He was talking about after the the tragic events of September 11th. The, you know, all eyes were kind of on. You know, how do we rebuild as a as a country? And a lot of there was kind of some thematic understanding that the Patriots were kind of like America's team One, they were from Boston. Two, they were the Patriots, right? And sure. that at that moment they decided uh, the next game when they came out of the tunnel. They were, were not going to do individual introductions anymore. They were just going to be introduced as the Patriots, and they shed mm-hmm. all individual, team, individual uh, uh, acknowledgments or individual introductions. And he talked about how that was so transformational, exactly what you were just talking about from the ego. You, you leave your individual ego behind, and it, all, it became all about the team, um, and it becomes yes. very
0: impactful. You know, Chad, we never at the level that I was at small college level. We never had the money to put the names of the players on the uniforms. Mm-hmm. If we did, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, I would not have done it. It, it. It's it's always. I mean, what leader ever accomplished anything without good people around him? Yeah, I, I just don't think. I just don't think it happens. Yeah. And then, you know, Chad, you mentioned about your, you know, your team and, and the failure that you guys experienced. A big thing that we would share with our kids was the importance of your FQ. Yep. And your FQ is your failure quotient. Yep. And one of the great lessons of athletics, unfortunately, you had it, you know, so so often, <laughs> but is, you know, when we do fail, do you have the resiliency to get back up and and that is a major a major lesson i believe maybe the most important lesson in athletics
1: yeah, in the book uh, under the the heading of determination you talk about the failure quotient and the FQ and you you give an example of uh of an American man who failed in business in in the the 1830s he then ran for legislature and failed. Uh he borrowed money and went bankrupt. He had a nervous breakdown. Uh the list yeah. goes on and on. He ran for Congress and lost. Uh, he ran for Congress and won. He ran for United States Senate and lost. And then in 1860, he finally ran for president and was elected president of the United States. And that was Abraham Lincoln. That's, you know, it's it's incredible to start looking down the path of the resiliency, right? The the determination. Yes. And what you're willing to continue to go after if you really believe that that's what you're trying to that you're that you're trying to accomplish if you're trying to make a difference.
0: And and you know, Chad, I never knew this. Um, This guy was, as I've mentioned in the book, flunked sixth grade. Yeah. And the teacher literally wrote, he was dumb and hopeless. Yeah. Well, Winston Churchill won the bad leader.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other one, the other one from a a team ego perspective and from a team perspective, there was one example that you gave in here. I was. I pulled up under under the teamwork heading. You're talking about uh the end of your season, uh you're preparing for a conference tournament and two of the starting players started to have a fight. Uh and when you got down to the root of it, it was a conflict between post and perimeter players. I want to break that down a little bit cuz I think in the, sure. especially in the business realm, uh so you just hit on a couple of very passion points that I've got. Uh, one is no great leader or no leader of any business has ever done anything on their own. It always requires a team. I've and I've that's something that we've talked about a lot on the podcast and and just around the the office. Yes, but at the end of the day, when you have conflict between players or a conflict between team team members or conflict within different departments. How does that affect the rest of the team? You're talking here in terms of two starting players. When you bre- break it down, it's the post and perimeter players. I, I, I'm just intrigued. Why was that relevant? And and kind of what boiled over and and the kind of the the resolve.
0: Well, add to add to this, one was a black athlete, the other was a white athlete. Yep. So it had the potential to really separate a team. Yeah. And you know, so we what what I've always done on that, I've I've called the combatants mm-hmm. in and we sat and talked and and as we talked, I realized, like we say in the book, it wasn't a racial issue. Mm-hmm. It was an issue that the big men, white and black, felt that the perimeter men, white and black, weren't throwing the ball in into the post enough. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought that it emanated from being a racial issue. Sure. And it wasn't. So if we hadn't sat down and looked each other in the eye and 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 talked it through, I never would have known that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we've always done. We had other issues. I also served as the athletic chairman. And we had 377 athletes, Chad, in 14 sports. So you can imagine we we did run into conflicts. And and that was one of the things we always did. We we called people in, and we sat and we tried to get to the real crux of what the issue was. And then secondly, what can we do about it? Yeah, it's int- yeah.
1: it's intriguing to me at, at whatever level of of athletics or um, you know sports at, at the heart. It is really comes down to teamwork, and a lot of times you you start to isolate out, like say golf, for instance, can be a very individual sport, but at the professional level, it is as much of a team sport as anything. The, the, the guy hitting the ball is going to get him most of the attention, but there's a lot of other players that go into the uh, into the into the the concept to get them to that point. You talk a lot about teamwork in the book. You talk about unse- unselfish teamwork. Only talent is willing to play together. That only talent that is willing to play together will be successful. You talk about Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, how they were the consummate team players. Um, they were truly made the players around them better. Uh, how, like, I'm trying to think through terms in terms of business. So You're taking this from a sports concept, and a lot of times people will say, "Well, that's just sports, right?" But it is it holds true in business as well. Those that walk into the area with the highest egos and can't work with other people, that, that's an immediate cause for conflict. So you just said the biggest thing is sitting down at the table, unpacking it and figuring out what the crux is. What have you how have you seen that play out in other areas of one of your teams or two when it comes to business?
0: Well, I uh, when we talk about Teamwork. I, I feel that it really transcends athletics, mm-hmm. and and I thought in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that Stephen Covey made a great point. He said, as a business consultant, mm-hmm. when I go into businesses, I see three kinds of people: independent, dependent, and interdependent. And his his point was the businesses that were most successful developed interdependent people Mm -hmm. and another Hmm. point that i i I really feel is important is that it's it's important to say thank you to the people who get little or no recognition kind of like you're saying about the golfer there's all kinds of people Mm -hmm. who are helping him behind the scenes Mm -hmm. well let's make sure we acknowledge them yeah and in in uh in search, in, search, in search of Excellence, yep. the, the authors talk about, it's kind of sad that in so many businesses, the top officers, vice presidents, presidents, CEOs, fail to come down to the people, the secretaries, the people driving the trucks, the people on the assembly line, and say to them, thank you for all you're doing for our company. But I think the great leaders, they do that.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's a fair point, and I it's it's intriguing, you especially when you talk about uh, interdependent, dependent, and and dependent folks, how that plays a huge role in the overall environment for an organization, um and and developing you know if you go back and read that book, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, how true that is of developing interdependency, uh, because it requires people to work together to do things great and excellent with excellence. Um, and you see it in the sp- sports realm as well. When you walk into and you see a team that's all about individuals playing their individual game, those are the teams that fail to have long standing success um That's right. i i I'd, I'd be interested in some of your takes even from you know the the uh, the world of of Chicago Bulls basketball with Michael Jordan as 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 impactful of a player that he was i think it holds true that that the folks that were on his team with him all of their execution stepped up and, and he, didn't, he didn't allow players to have anything less than their best. And that's where you saw the excellence and the sustainable su- success with the Chicago Bulls.
0: I think a lot of people, in my opinion, totally missed the point on Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. You're always talking about his individual play, Yep. you know, and obviously probably the greatest ever. Here's where they missed the point. Michael Jordan was a terrific team player. And he was that for three reasons. Number one, and I I saw this, he practiced harder than anybody in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And they even used to say that when a new player would come to the Bulls, the first practice, Jordan would embarrass him, steal the ball from him, block his shot, to let that player know a lot of teams in the nba because of the travel because of the number of games they play don't practice hard mm-hmm. when you come to the bulls you practice hard yeah secondly a lot of people don't realize michael is the leading assist man in the history of chicago bulls basketball yeah and and thirdly from my perspective like i mentioned chad have seen him in the playoffs I don't think Michael was the best defensive player on the Bulls. I thought he was the best defensive player in the NBA. Yeah, He was a great defensive player. So I think people miss the fact that he, he was a great teammate. Can you copy this
1: key? That's a question we get asked about 3,422 times a year. And how can you actually be sure that the person who asked that question is supposed to get a copy of that key? Well, we think you should always know who can copy your keys to your business and your home because it could be your neighbor, an old employee, a contractor, or even worse, your mother-in-law. At LockDock Security, we believe in protected key systems, so you always know who has a copy of your key. To find out more, visit LockDock.net or stop by our Charlotte location. LockDock Security, helping you protect your people and your property. Let's talk about toughness. This is one of the characteristics that you go over in the book Attitude, and uh, you talk about being tough, that leaders cannot spend a great deal of time worrying about their critics. Um, And how, why is that important? I guess that's a fundamental question. Why is that important that you're not spending your time on uh, worrying about what folks are saying negatively about you?
0: Well, I always like that differentiation between a manager and a leader. Mm-hmm. A manager tries to do things right. A leader tries to do the right things. Yeah. And I know when you're trying to do the right things as a leader, you better understand going into that position, you're going to have critics. And like I you know, had mentioned in the book, you're in good company. When Martin Luther King went down to confront the racism in Birmingham, Mm -hmm. he was thrown in jail because he started a march. And I love in his letter from the Birmingham jail, when he says, I very seldom paraphrasing, take the time to answer my critics, because if I did, that's all I'd have time for. (laughs) (laughs) And Father Hesper, president of Notre Dame for 26 years, said in an essay, College Presidency, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, he said, I tried to do everything I could to make things better for the faculty mm-hmm. at Notre Dame, you know, better, better pay, better benefits, better office space, etc. And in 26 years, I got two thank yous. <laughs> but when he made decisions faculty didn't like, his office was inundated with the criticism. Yeah. So you, you it's going to come. And I certainly don't mean that you don't listen to any of it because some of it is going to really help you but but the great majority of it is just people ranting and raving about things that usually aren't important yeah so you got to be able to you got to be able to handle it
1: well, it's, it's true, and, and again, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about, um, about decisions, and you had mentioned about the Forbes had dedicated an entire segment about decisions, and so now you're talking about people criticizing decisions, but what is it mm-hmm. about a good leader being de- decisive or, or understanding how to make decisions?
0: Um, I, I, I think that uh, in James Collins' book, uh, From Good to Great, he was one of the men that Forbes interviewed. And I really liked when he said that the best leaders in American boardrooms would begin their decision-making process, regardless of the business, saying three words. And the three words were, I don't know. Yeah, And I know I've worked with leaders who knew. In fact, they knew everything. Mm-hmm. So for me to say I worked with them is a misnomer. Nobody could work with them. So I think great leaders aren't afraid to bring in their principal people and not, not afraid to begin with, hey, I'm not sure where we move on this decision. But let's put our minds together and see if we can come to the best solution. And then you make it from there and take the critics because you tried your best to come up with the best solution. But I but I think you have to include others.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that goes to one of your other points that, uh, you know, in the, especially in the book on teamwork, he talks about uh, the sign that was on uh, Fod- Father Roger Kaffer's uh, desk that said, none of us is smarter than all of us. And that really... I mean, you, you look at truly great organizations, innovative organizations, and it's the, uh, the ones that are working together on something that are, are fighting for, you know, that kind of common cause, but are not just relying upon one individual for that information. It's collect, the collective use.
0: And that sign was so poignant because literally that was the way he led. Mm. That was exactly the way he led. He, he would call in the principal people, and and then he had great courage. Once he made the decision, even if it were a decision that people didn't like, then he had done all his homework on it, and he had the courage to stand by the decision, which isn't easy. So one,
1: maybe in kind of... Drawing a bow on this thing from a from an attitude perspective, I want to get your thoughts on this from an example standpoint. Setting an example, you you we're talking about attitude. We're talking about one, uh, you know, preparing yourself to to start the day with a good attitude and uh, kind of being the example of that. Where have you kind of based some of that on, as far as you know, starting with? The example that you're setting first, um, and and kind of being that example. You just talked about Michael Jordan um, being the the guy that shows he's he's going to be the the hardest worker on the team, uh, and he's so he's doing that through example. What are other ways that leaders can show an example through being setting a good attitude and and kind of setting the standard?
0: I think getting to know your people and getting to know them. Beyond the workplace, Um, I I, I think that's that's critical. Our president at the university could walk down the hallway and he knew the cleaning ladies, Mm -hmm. the ladies who cleaned the dorms. He knew the maintenance people. He really got to know the people. And I think that when, when you do that. People give you a little leeway, even if they don't like the decision. They know you care, and I love that expression, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So when they know you care, I think that's a great start for any leader.
1: Very cool. Coach Pat Sullivan, you've got two uh, very impactful books. Uh, You can find out more by going to your website. What is the the website address?
0: Coachpatsullivan.com.
1: Very cool. Check that out. Again, thank you for the sending the books, um, team building, uh, from the bench to the boardroom. And the attitude is the cornerstone of leadership. Well, Coach Pat, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a blast. Uh, Great conversation and uh, look forward to potentially chatting with you in the future and uh, following up on this other book called Team Building from the Bench to the Boardroom. Uh, Lots of great advice inside of these books. So make sure you check that out at coachpatsullivan.com. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe. We've got a brand new episode coming out next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. We don't want you to miss it. It's all about business ideas, practices, and strategies. We'll see you then.